Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a side of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at Wilmington and beaches vacation.com. Welcome to the Politics Guys, the place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. Today, in part eight of our Election 2020 series, we'll be discussing how the Trump and Biden camps differ on race and gender issues. Now, during this episode, I'll be using, I guess you could call them shorthand terms for the three main issue areas we'll be discussing, LGBTQ plus issues, women's issues, and racial justice issues. And to start with, I wanted to say that I recognize that these terms, some people can see them as somewhat problematic because... They can be taken to imply that certain issues are only a concern of certain groups. But when I thought about alternative formations of this, like uh, issues that are often of particular concern to women or something like that, that's awfully clunky. And so we're just going to be using shorter and more conventional phrases to refer to these general issue areas. And also, I wanted to mention before we get started that we won't be discussing the issue of immigration today. And certainly, Immigration relates to racial justice concerns and maybe some of these other concerns we'll be talking about, but it's important enough that we're going to be talking specifically about immigration and citizenship on next week's episode of this series. All right, with that, we will get started. And what we'll get started by talking about is, first off, LGBTQ plus issues and the case for President Trump on these issues. In other words, the argument, why why is it or what positive things has the Trump administration, has President Trump done in terms of LGBTQ plus issues? So who wants to get us started on this? Olivia. So Trump and his uh, campaign have kind of touted that Trump has um, both had his his campaign um, like spearheaded by, I think his name's Grinnell. I think that's how you say it, um, who is openly gay. Um, and now Grinnell, like he's appointed Grinnell as an advisor. And um, Trump has also appointed like um, district uh, court justices as uh, LGBTQ um, justices under his administration. Like he's, you know, um, he has, I guess, given opportunity to openly gay um, individuals to, you know, serve under him and to uh, serve the government. Um, and he also was the first president to say the term LGBT in his acceptance speech. Um, There's not like a whole lot. Um, He waved a pride flag 
um, at one of his, I think it was maybe Colorado, um, one of his rallies saying that he was going to be like a better ally to the LGBTQ than other Democratic candidates have been. Um, He's also put a lot of funding toward um, HIV AIDS resources and um, combating the AIDS epidemic and also, um, you know, kind of trying to make um, treatment and care more accessible and more affordable um, because the treatment for HIV and AIDS can be really, really expensive. Um, He's done a few things. I think it's just more that the general narrative of Trump and the Republican Party is like, I mean, they're they're trying to appeal more to like a Christian base and an evangelical base. Um, they're not trying to appeal to people who are super pro LGBTQ rights. So, um, you know, he's done a few things, but I think more so like what's more important to him is, you know, saying that like, no, like I support Christians and Christians don't support gay marriage. So I'm not really going to make LGBTQ like a focal point. Okay. Doc. I will. I will. Let me say it this way. I have a brother-in-law who I dearly love who is gay. And he and his partner tried to get married during the Obama administration, and they had an awful time. And they finally succeeded in getting married over in Indiana someplace after a a great deal of uh, legal uh, wrangling. Last year, I think it was, they moved to Florida. My brother-in-law had an accident, and they went to the hospital, and he, again, was treated very poorly because of their status. And this is while Trump was in power. And on an individual level, I don't think there's been a lot done to help the LGBTQ community um, with their problems. by the way, you know, with my brother-in-law, it was it's it's kind of sad. My wife and I, uh, my poor wife who died recently, she and I accepted both of them. My kids accepted both of them. A lot of the members of the family ostracized them, so that's how deep it go. This whole thing goes. Um, and on, like I say, on an individual level, I don't think a lot has been done. There's been a lot of uh, the rape in the waving of hands and the and people saying yes, we're going to do something about this. But I don't. I don't believe a lot has really been done. To help the individual. Okay. I, I, you know, I think something that, that I've heard uh, from both both these comments maybe is that uh, the argument that perhaps President Trump, who seems to have been, I think most people would say, much more openly accepting of LGBTQ people than any previous Republican president, certainly, is constrained in a way by the Republican Party, in a sense. And so 
I wonder what you think about that argument. And given that, does perhaps President Trump deserve a certain amount of credit for taking a Republican Party that was even fairly recently fairly openly opposed to, uh, you know, same same sex marriage and various other uh, equality for LGBTQ folks? Does he deserve a certain amount of credit for kind of dragging parts of his party toward a more open position on this or or not? What do you think? Alan? That certainly seems to be the argument of the um, law cabin Republicans, which is their LGBTQ sort of group and um, individuals like Grinnell, is that the Republican Party, Bush's Republican Party back in the early 2000s, was the Republican Party that put um, same-sex marriage bans on state ballots to increase voter turnout for um, right-wing Christian groups to help Bush win the 2004 election. And so, like, that's where the Republican Party has been at. So for the Republican Party to now be, um, well, we don't necessarily don't support LGBTQ individuals. I guess for them, that is a big step. Or that's the argument they would make, at least. Okay. Uh, Olivia. First of all, Doc, you're about to make me cry. Thank you for um, your your story. I appreciated that. Um, but yeah, I, I would just I would agree with Alan. I think um, I Trump now is you know supporting and, and especially with his um, Supreme Court justice nominations, um, it's it's just you know concrete evidence that that he supports overturning um, gay marriage. The legislation passed under Obama, um, and. He's st- stated that, that he supports it. And, you know, maybe that's out of, you know, that he feels more strongly about his his hatred for Obama and their administration than he does about his support for the LGBTQ. I don't know. And it's also, again, that, you know, the base that he's appealing to is not an LGBTQ base um, or an LGBTQ supporting base for the most part. Um, but, you know, under Trump, it was also that that under Trump um, that. Uh, trans individuals were banned from serving in the military. And um, the costs that Trump has fallen back on saying that it's just too expensive um, have turned out to be marginal. So um, I just, you know, I, 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 I appreciate everything that I've read that I didn't know about, you know, how Trump has, especially prior to the presidency, um, been open to the LGBTQ. And I think I read that he was one of the first um, uh, private country club or yeah, pri- private country club owners in, in Palm Beach or was it Palm Beach, Palm Springs, maybe, um, to uh, accept an openly gay couple into the club. And, um, you know, Trump has also a a kind of uh, left-winged social voting record, at least on social issues prior to the presidency. But I I do think that um, because of, you know, he knows that for him to win, he needs to appeal to a base that um, is not, you know, LGBTQ plus rights supporters. Okay. Doc. I... I researched this, uh, not knowing a lot about this, and I came across, well, to answer your question about the Republican Party, yes, I think he's dragged them kicking and screaming uh, a little bit to, I, I won't say the left, I will just say that to give a a more open look at the LGBTQ community. But one of the, one of the things I wrote in my report, and I, I get 
really weird on this when you when you start uh, separating people into groups. I, I it just really drives me nuts um, because you know you, you what we're talking about here is the gay community, women, and race. Now there are people of color who are gay. There are women who are people of color who are gay. So this is all uh, just a, a total mishmash. I mean, it's how do you calculate the combinations of how people could be? Are you gay? Are you black? Are you a woman? Are you any combination of those things? And I was rooting around on the on the web, and I came across a thing. San Mateo, California, has a LGBTQ glossary on their website, and it says all the identities in the queer community, and this near exhaustive one, but not exhaustive, represents lesbian, gay, bisexual, pansexual, transgender, transsexual, queer, questioning, intersex, intergender, asexual, ally. And it's 18 pages long, the combinations of how you can be gay. Now, how do you legislate how to work with that community? Uh, you have 18 pages of titles, and you can be any combination of those 18, plus being black, plus being a woman. So this is getting really convoluted. And it basically comes down to what I wrote in my paper is all of a sudden it's white straight people are the ones that are are the ones that I'm trying to think of the right word. Giving credence to all these people. You know, who are we? to say, we owe you something, or who are they to say we owe them something? It's, it, just, it just bottles my mind. Okay. And uh, I think from what, what I'm hearing from, from Doc is uh, sort of this issue of what's often called identity politics, where some people take issue with uh, sort of, well, identifying oneself or defining oneself by one particular characteristic. And there's a there's sort of a uh, you could call it a tradition, I suppose, arguing that, you know, we shouldn't focus on one aspect of people's identity, but look at them as a totality of various different things. And in focusing on specific identities, we tend to develop rather than unite people, I think, is at least at some point that for some people, the argument and the concern, and I heard a certain amount of that illustrated in what uh, in what Doc had to say. Olivia. Uh, just real quick. So um, immediately what I thought of when Doc was talking about um, uh, how you can both be, you know, a member of the LGBTQ uh, plus community and a woman and black, 
Um, that's called intersectionality. Um, and, and I encourage everybody to read about intersectionality, but, um, basically it's just, you know, exactly what doc was saying, this, this, um, this idea that, you know, you, there are different levels of oppression and of discrimination, especially in the United States. And you can't really tease them apart. Like, for example, if you are a trans black woman, um, you are the most, uh, the most likely group, um, the most likely target of a hate crime and, um, and a violent hate crime. Um, so, but, but again, it's hard to tease apart. Okay. Was that hate crime because you were black? Was it because you were trans? Was it because you were a trans woman? So, um, I just wanted to add that in there because intersectionality is something that is really important to me and that I've, I've studied a lot, but that is the term and I encourage everybody to look into it. Okay. Noah. So kind of going off what Olivia was saying about um, Black trans women, this year has actually been the most deadly for them. Um, it's not always on the news. It's really hard to find any potential articles about it. And I find that really interesting that our media doesn't even cover these Black trans women being murdered. And so I think it's really interesting to see like how Olivia was saying that, how internet intersectionality actually impacts us all. Because I mean, like, Again, are they being killed because they're black? Are they being killed because they're a woman? Are they being killed because they are a trans woman? And I mean, to me, just watching this, it's kind of, uh, I mean, like just watching this whole thing. I mean, like this country is supposed to be like, we are help, we are, we have freedoms, we have all this stuff, but then there's these innocent, poor black trans women that are just being murdered in our street every day or not every day, but sometimes often. And so I just feel like we need to, like, what Trump is currently trying to do, I feel like he's taking the step in the right direction to get the Republican Party to accept the LGBTQIA plus community. And so I feel like how kind of Alan was saying earlier that in 2004, that's how Bush kind of got people out was against gay marriage. And so I feel like we are taking steps in the right direction. But we need to get further because, again, you can say that these people don't deserve some rights, which to me is just appalling because everybody deserves human rights. But then to say, like, I mean, like some people don't even think the LGBTQIA plus community deserves to get married. And so I just find it really interesting that we still have people that are against these poor, just just this, this poor group of people that just want to be accepted and loved by their community in the United States. Alan. I think a good thing to clarify when we're talking about um, this internet intersectionality stuff and like identity politics and stuff like that is um, for like gay people, for lesbians, for even um, African-Americans, they don't want like the fact that they are gay, the fact that they are a lesbian, the fact that they are an African-American to define everything about them. But certain people, that's all they can see in them. And as a result, that's how they treat them. And we have to take that into consideration. In the political spectrum. I believe that's what we're trying to say here. And, you know, let's uh, let's move on a little bit and talk about Joe Biden on these on this kind of grouping of issues. What's the argument that Joe Biden would be better or would advance issues of concern to the LGBTQ plus community to a greater extent than we've seen in the Trump administration? Faith. Um, I think for Biden, his campaign, he's kind of um, going on some of the things that he was able to achieve, help achieve during the Obama administration, especially when it comes to repealing don't ask, don't tell. Um, one thing I thought was particularly interesting on his campaign website was Biden's address um, addressing of LGBTQ plus youth and the extreme suicide rates that people in this age group 
tend to have. So really putting a lot more resources towards um, suicide prevention for these groups. I think one of the stats said that um, trans youth were actually um, three times more likely to commit suicide than other um, heterosexual youth of their age. So I think Biden saying that I'm really going to focus on not just youth, but LGBTQ plus youth was a big thing for me. Uh, Noah. Um, something I actually really appreciated from Biden's website was that he's wanting to ban conversion therapy. And so I kind of think that's a huge step in the right direction because nobody should be put through torture. I mean, like sometimes they, I don't know if it's still potentially used electroshock therapy to make you straight. And so I feel like him wanting to ban this on a federal level is a huge step in the right direction for the LGBTQIA plus community because nobody should have to be tortured to make themselves straight. They should just be whoever they want to be okay olivia um so biden also said that in the first he he promises to make um passing the equality act a top priority and he says he'll do it in the first hundred days of, of him being in office as he if he's elected um and he also plans to repeal some of the uh like discriminatory loopholes that trump and the Trump administration have kind of uh, found that allows businesses to discriminate um, for religious reasons um, and, and not just companies, but also like company based insurances. Um, you know, LGBTQ people can be and, and this also goes into women's issues. But um, but, you know, insurance companies right now are allowed to uh, discriminate based on, you know, if you're maybe a higher they they view you as a higher risk or if um, if it's a religious company or you have a religious employer. Um, these religious exemptions allow them to kind of like deny you coverage or not give you the same um, opportunities, which, uh, you know, Biden and, and Pence, or Trump and Pence have uh, enabled and, and Biden plans to repeal. Um, also, as uh, at, like Noah was saying, Pence supports, um, vocally supports uh, conversion therapy. So that is a, a major difference with Biden. And, and even if it's not electroshock electroshock therapy or um aversion conversion like it's it i've read a whole book on this like it's there's no good outcome because you come out and, and you are not converted it does not work um but you know you kind of have to either it's just you either come out depressed or you come out trying to live a lifestyle that is not true to who you are and it's not it's wrong so <laughs> if you're asking me so that's a major difference between the candidates Okay, let's move on to our next issue area. Again, we're broadly calling women's issues or issues of particular concern to women. Uh, what is the case that President Trump is making that that female voters should consider him over Joe Biden? What's the what's the case for President Trump on women's issues? Faith. I think one of the big things that Trump is kind of trying to show women is that he's put a lot of funding towards helping to prevent domestic violence. Um, I think it's, uh, I saw where it said between 2018 and 2019, he provided approximately $8 um, billion to victim services through the Department of Justice Office of Victims and Crime. Um, and that actually was had funding to local law enforcement to try to help prevent these issues and also have a hotline service that has actually assisted more than 2 million domestic violence victims. So I think Trump kind of focusing more on the, the issue of domestic violence is appealing to women. Okay. What other things might President Trump argue for in terms of uh, issues of concern to women? Uh, Doc. I like the uh, business, uh, I think they called it the INSPIRE Act, mm -hmm. 
that encouraged NASA to have more William, women and girls participate in the STEM and work in aerospace. And I don't know if any of you uh, ever saw the movie Hidden Figures, where the women, and especially women of color, were the ones who actually designed the software that got people into space and back again. Uh, and I think the idea of getting more women into that profession is really going to help. Just just to get more women out of traditional roles that they may not want to be in um, and give them a chance to be what they really want to be. Uh, I'll take an exception. My daughter's a teacher. She always wanted to be a teacher. But it used to be that if you're a woman, you could be a nurse, a teacher, or a wife. And that was it. Uh, and I think just opening up these, trying these STEM careers for women is, is really going to help. Okay. Alan. Another um, big push the Trump administration has made to, like, try and appear um, more, I guess, like they're giving attention to women's issues is um, his daughter Ivanka's Women's Global Development and Prosperity Initiative, which um, set out to empower 50 million women by 2025. And his campaign has claimed that in its first year alone, the initiative reached around 12 million women across the globe. So I guess global outreach is another thing the Trump administration is arguing that they've done for women. Okay. Olivia. Also created a task force uh, dedicated, or I guess dedicating funding to investigating um, missing and murdered indigenous women, um, which unfortunately is a group of people that is not considered enough. So, um, as much as I do not want Trump to be my president for four more years, I actually really appreciate his acknowledgement of this issue um, and in uh, dedicating a, a source of resources and funding to, you know, trying to help this community and um, at least, you know, on the surface, trying to, you know, actually put effort into investigating these women who've, who've gone missing. What about Joe Biden? The case for Joe Biden on women's issues as being a, a strong promoter of women's rights and issues women uh, are concerned about. What, what's the case here? Noah? Um, Joe Biden wants to pass the ERA, and I think that's pretty great. The Equal Rights Amendment, which um, has been kind of just sitting idle, and yes, it's gone over its time limit to become an amendment to our Constitution, but now we actually technically have 38 states that have ratified it, so I kind of would like to see this amendment actually come into play, because I mean, again, it's going to kind of cover some general things that women should not be discriminated against, like one of them being pay, like women should not be paid just because, paid less because they're women, so I really would like to see him pass the ERA. Um, another thing that I thought Biden was doing a really um, good job on for women's issues is talking about how he actually wanted to create a White House Council for Gender Equality. I think it said a similar program was set up under President Obama and disbanded um, when Trump took office. But the fact that this um, council itself would look at kind of a woman's perspective on economic policy, health care, racial justice, gender based violence and foreign policy. I think just kind of shows how Biden really does want to get a woman's point of view on these issues. Helen. Yeah. Another thing Biden 
has been advocating for is the renewal of the Violence Against Women Act, which created a national a nationwide hotline for victims, you know, offered them shelters for um, when they had to leave and trained law, law enforcement to be more adept at identifying domestic violence. He wants to expand that and um, also include online harassment and um, the connection between guns and domestic violence. All right. Olivia. Uh, Biden also says that he plans to have the uh, proportion of women that rep- that make up the country, because like literally half of the country is women, um, represented in his administration. Um, and, and he plans to have, you know, if if the country is half women, then half of his administration and half of the people that he appoints and employs should be uh, women. And he's already proven that, you know, he's he's at least somewhat dedicated to that um, by a, a being the first. Uh, the first presidential Democratic nominee um, to select a female and not just a female, but a, a woman of color um, vice president uh, running mate. So um, I think he's proven, you know, himself that that right there is a historical achievement for women. Um, but then going further than that, I think, you know, a really obvious issue is um, his stance on reproductive rights. And and I know in the past he has uh, contradicted himself, but currently um, he takes a stance that is very pro-choice um, and he vows to uh, overturn the gag rule, the global gag rule, which um, which prevents, you know, any any uh, any institutions that perform or even discuss abortions from receiving any federal funding. Um, He also says that, you know, what we saw is that during the pandemic, um, a lot of abortion clinics were shut down um, and they were deemed non-essential services. And Biden says that, you know, the pandemic's probably going to keep going, but that he will not allow that to happen and that he views um, reproductive health services as essential services. Um, He plans to refund uh, Planned Parenthood, which has been stripped away from Planned Parenthood under the Trump administration and acknowledges that Planned Parenthood provides so many more services beyond just abortion and that only a very small percentage of funding, which is not federal funding, but only a small percentage of funding total goes toward abortions. Um, so I think as far as, you know, reproductive rights, he's a lot more progressive than Trump in that aspect. Yeah, and I definitely want to get, get into that. Just one one thing I wanted to mention, it, it is it's absolutely true that Joe Biden is, is the first person to ever nominate a black woman as vice president. Now, there have been two white women who've been nominated as vice president. That would be in 1984, Democrat Walter Mondale uh, had Geraldine Ferrara as his running mate. And then in 2008, John McCain had Sarah Palin. Of course, neither of those individuals actually won the presidency. Faith. I think another issue that Biden really wants to tackle, which will really attract a lot of women, is addressing the wage gap in the United States. Um, I think it said on Biden's campaign website, for every dollar the average man makes, the average woman makes 82 cents, the black woman makes 62 cents. 62 cents. The Native American woman earns 70, uh, earns 57 cents. Sorry about that. And Latinas earn 54 cents. So the fact that Biden is one acknowledging that this is a problem that needs to be addressed and then also looking to support things like the Paycheck Fairness Act is going to be a huge thing that will attract a lot of women. Okay. On the issue of reproductive rights, uh, that's obviously a, a central question when we're talking about what are called women's issues. Is it some people would argue that it is not possible to be if you're anti-abortion, if you're for restricting abortion rights or reproductive freedom in any way, then you are by definition 
anti-woman. What do you think about that? Olivia? Um, you're anti, I think, I mean, okay, from my perspective, yes, you are restricting every woman's um, rights to control their own body. However, um, I guess from a devout Christian pro-life woman's perspective, um, you're probably going to appeal to her. Um, I think there are a lot of women who prefer, I know there are a lot of women who would prefer a president who is pro-life. I'm not one of them, but, um, you know, I think, yes, you are restricting even a woman who's pro-life's right to control her own body. But, you know, there are a lot of women who would say that Trump is pro-woman and that pro-life administrations are are pro-woman because, you know, I guess the argument is that you are protecting the right to life and that also protects women. And um, there's this narrative that abortions aren't safe and that, um, you know, especially, you know, the Trump administration has even pushed this narrative that like abortion leads to not only um, not only, you know, the loss of life of the 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 baby or the fetus, but also um, long-term complications for the woman. So um, I think there is that argument that like, depending on what woman you're trying to appeal to, um, there are still women who are going to support you. Okay. What about personal conduct? How much does that matter? Certainly there's a long history, a long record of President Trump making remarks that most people would regard as misogynistic, some, you know, the famous Access Hollywood tape remarks and various other things as well. And also there have been some, you know, allegations about Joe Biden, him being a bit too uh, handsy. Some people use that term. To what extent does that factor in or does that does that matter? And to what extent does it matter? What do you think? Doc? Olivia, I think, made the statement before about how Biden had uh, flip-flopped on this issue. Um, And I think, personally, I think he has a history of flip-flopping on almost every issue that is... uh, means anything that comes that comes up uh abortion i think it was is the the hyde amendment i think he flip-flopped on he's flip-flopped on fracking i just don't trust the man uh as you said he does get a bit handsy with people um what was he oh he he has he has plagiarized uh, Bobby Kennedy for one and one of the English uh, prime ministers for another. Uh, He has lied about his college background, uh, how he got his law degree, where he had uh, graduated in the top of his class and actually graduated 76 out of 85. Let, yeah. let, let me let me interrupt just for a minute, Doc. Not, not that these aren't issues that are worth considering, but they're a little bit off of our specific topic here. They kind of fit more into the general kind of, I guess you could call it character or trustworthiness. So I just want to keep things focused more specifically on these particular issues, at least in this conversation. But, you know, you, you did bring up the issue of, of Joe Biden again. You know, perhaps some some women have said that. Uh, he maybe was a little 
too uh, personal, touchy feel. And other people have said, well, we're talking about two men in their in their 70s who grew up in a very different atmosphere when certain things that maybe were acceptable or permissible back then are not seen as acceptable in terms of conduct toward women today. Uh, Faith. Yeah, I think the fact that both Trump and Biden have had these allegations against them should normally make a big difference. But as we've seen in 2016 with Trump, a lot of these allegations were uh, put forward. It didn't seem to make a difference. Also, the same thing being put with Biden. It's probably not going to make a difference. I think there's so many other things that are going on that voters aren't going to kind of have that be that their deciding factor. I do not think that the way that either of these treat, um, these candidates have had allegations put forth to them that it's acceptable. I find it rather disturbing. But I think where we're at in the election and all the other things that are going on socially and just um, with policy wise, I don't think it's going to actually make a difference in voters selection of either one of the two candidates. Okay. Olivia. Um, in response to Doc real quick, because this applies to all three of the topics we're covering today. Um, he's absolutely right that Biden has kind of gone back and forth and he, maybe he now represents policies that he opposed um, in the past. And that's absolutely true. The same is true for Trump, though. Um, but getting past that, I think what's more important, and it's unfortunate, and in an ideal world, we would have two candidates that uh, neither of them have sexual assault allegations against them. And it sucks that we have two candidates that have these allegations. Um, and it's, it's I absolutely understand how it's really hard for a lot of people, um, women and men both, to uh, to want to give their vote and support someone who has these allegations against them. But what I'm, you know, the way that I'm getting through that and what concerns me the most is what are their policies now and what are they going to do for our country in the next four years? And um, yes, the narrative is is really important and the statements made by, by Trump and Biden are really important because that affects the climate of the United States. So many people look up to Trump and when they see Trump making misogynistic statements and saying that, you know, basically he can do whatever he wants with women and to women because he's rich and powerful, like, Yes, that does affect, you know, what people think is okay to say and how people think it's okay to treat women. But I think what we have to, you know, focus on is the most important thing is um, the policies that they have and the views that they have now and, you know, how that's going to affect women as well as, you know, all the other communities that we're discussing today um, in the next four years. And I think Biden's policies are definitely much more forward leaning and much more um, helpful and beneficial to women. Um, and and that that's what we should be really focusing on when we go to the polls and vote. Okay. Let's move on now to racial justice issues. Uh, what is the case that President Trump is making? In fact, he's made a he's mentioned this a number of times. He's argued that uh, that black Americans especially are uh, shouldn't be so beholden to the Democratic Party. It's a, as a group, black Americans tend to vote very strongly for Democratic presidential candidates. And he, in fact, has argued that he is outside of Abraham Lincoln. He is the best ever president for Black Americans. What's the case that President Trump is making here? What's his argument? Alan? Well, the big two things the um, Trump campaign has continued to mention, if you and if you watched any of the RNC, you would have picked up on this as well, is they talk a lot about the opportunity zones they created in the um, tax cut they gave a while back, which essentially would encourage companies or I believe it was companies, yes, to invest in areas that would historically be occupied by African Americans in exchange for tax breaks. And the other big thing they've argued is about um, 
the Trump campaign, or I'm sorry, the uh, Trump presidency's continued support of um, minority colleges and universities, historically black colleges and universities, and the funding they've given towards them to keep them afloat. Okay. Doc? Uh, I think uh, this was reported in the LA Times that black people had the best employment numbers they've they've ever had uh, up until the time that the uh, COVID disaster hit. Uh, the uh, criminal justice reforms, I think, uh, what is that, the first step back? Right. Uh, has really done a lot. And that that not only affects black people, and again, it affects women and, and uh, the uh, LGBT community, whoever whoever is in jail because of some minor crime, uh, they'll their their case will be reviewed and and um, maybe release the tax cuts and job acts, the opportunity zones. Uh, that uh, where the this is this all comes out of the uh, L.A. Times, uh, the poverty where the poverty rate is on average twice the national rate, uh, and they're pumping money into those communities. I think that is an excellent idea that Trump has has done, and also. He's pumping money into the historically black colleges. Right. And I think, it, you know, an important argument that we hear on the right a lot about uh, all of the issues we're talking about is that the focus should be on broad economic growth, which will help everyone regardless of their uh, their identity, their sexual identity, their race or anything like that. And that seems to be much more of a focus. They they argue it should be much more of a focus than focusing on specific groups to sort of lift everyone up at the same time, oftentimes is is what's commonly heard of uh, faith. Um, also, regarding kind of. Um the criminal justice reform in the First Step Act. I think another big thing that the Trump campaign is focusing on is Trump's pardon of Alice Johnson, who is an African-American woman serving life in prison for a nonviolent drug offense. And pardon, um, and Trump did pardon her. And I think that was a big focusing point, showing that he is looking to make these, well, I guess, correct some wrongdoings of the system. Okay. Uh, Olivia. Um, in response to what you were saying about kind of benefiting the economy and, and lifting everybody up instead of focusing on certain groups. Um, I, I, I get that argument, but at the same time, a lot of times when the economy uh, increases and when the economy becomes more healthy, um, it's the people at the top who benefit from that. And, and the people who have always been at the bottom and have always been stepped on continue to be stepped on. Um, and a lot of times that is low income and minority communities. Also, I want to um, point out that, that, sometimes pouring funds into renovating um, primarily low-income and, and non-white communities actually ends up hurting them more. Um, that's what we see with gentrification. And I don't know if that's a consideration of the Trump administration, but just because you put funding into um, like renovating a low-income and, and non-white community, sometimes that ends up 
just leading to the people who were already living there not being able to afford to live there anymore and then becoming displaced. Um, so that's an issue. But I also want to point out that um, Trump has this platinum plan that he just recently introduced, um, which would dedicate millions of dollars to um, he, he has a wide range of um things that are meant to benefit the black community that that these funding that this funding would go toward um but i think it's important to acknowledge that this plan came out after all of these protests have been happening and and now that um race is such a central focus and racial um inequality is a central focus um whereas biden has been addressing these issues since 2019 when he first you know when he first began campaigning and trump has yet and we've seen this in four years that he's almost four years that he's been in office he has yet to acknowledge the systemic problem he has yet to acknowledge that systemic racism still plagues this country in every form um he has yet to acknowledge that privilege the privilege of someone like himself, a white wealthy man, um, gives him opportunities and allows him to succeed in life in a way that um, someone who is, you know, for example, black and born into a low income household um, is not going to have the same ease of success. So um, I think that's really important is just the, the mindset on, um, on whether systemic racism even exists in the country or not. And that's very different between Biden and Trump. Okay. Yeah. And I, I definitely want us to get into what, how Joe Biden differs, and that certainly is an important point. One quick thing I wanted to mention is that platinum plan, which sort of seemed to have kind of come and went very quickly with everything else going on in the news cycle, was uh, I think around half, well, around half a trillion dollars. And basically, I believe it was based more on uh, minority contracting opportunities and infrastructure spending and that sort of thing. But it really didn't seem to have a whole lot of sticking power, certainly in the news cycle there. So let's talk a little bit about that. You know, Olivia mentioned systemic racism and uh, and getting into Joe Biden. How do you see Joe Biden differing on issues of racial justice from uh, President Trump? Alan. Well, I know one promise Joe Biden continues to make is that he won't stoke racial divisions, which a low bar to set, but it is rhetoric is important with a lot of this stuff. So that is one big difference that I noticed. Okay. What other difference? I mean, let's focus. We haven't talked uh, specifically mentioned Black Lives Matter. Joe Biden has said he supports it. President Trump has been, I would say, it's fair to say, unsupportive. Uh, Olivia? I was just going to get into that. So Biden and Harris both have actually attended protests um, and they both have pushed for peaceful protests and they both have kind of condemned, um, you know, the the violent protests. But um, again, like I said, in, in another one of the episodes, what I really appreciated is that when they were pushing Biden to support law and order and to say law and order, he said he supports law and order, but on the condition of justice. He acknowledges that before we have law and order and for us to expect, expect people to to return to a state of peace, we have to achieve justice. And our country has never um, seen a time, a point in, in history where um, non-white Americans have the same opportunity and are treated the same way as white Americans. Um, and I think it, it speaks volumes that Trump calls Black Lives Matter a terrorist organization, um, whereas Biden and, and Harris are actually joining the protesters and supporting them. Um, Biden and Harris both have been communicating with the families and the loved ones of victims of police brutality. Um, they both support reforming, not just, and you know, I 100% I support and appreciate um, Trump's 
prison sentencing reform um, and his push to reform the way the prison system works. However, um, Biden and Harris acknowledge that this is not it's not just the prison system like it is a it's a systemic issue like that affects every aspect of our country and that we need to address we need to address the root of the problem. Um, and, and I appreciate that in both of them. And I also, um, something that I think is really important is that Harris has kind of changed her stance on, um, marijuana. And uh, we talked about this in another episode, but basically, you know, they acknowledge that, that even just certain laws, like the criminalization of drugs and like the war on drugs and the, the criminalization of marijuana and the classification of marijuana, um, as you know, a, a really dangerous drug when we know now that it's not, um, disproportionately, I think, uh, a black American is four times more, um, likely to be arrested and, and, uh, incarcerated for possession of marijuana than a white American is. So I think for them to acknowledge that, you know, it's not just the prison system, but it's also laws that are in place that have been in place for decades that, um, disproportionately harm and incarcerate, um, the black community, I think is a, a big step for them. Noah. Um, one thing I really like about Biden's plan is that he wants to take um, he wants the federal government to stop using private prisons, because as we all know, black people are disproportionately put in prison more than white people. And so a lot of times these prisons are for profit prisons and they make money. They mean like they can exploit the workers, pay them very minimum wages and stuff like that. So I feel like one major thing that I do like about their plan is that they want to stop the federal government from using private prisons. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, President Trump about Black Lives Matter has has said that it's part of a mob rule that's destroying many black lives. And I was wondering, what do you think he means by this? And is it necessarily an anti-black statement, as a lot of people have seen it as being? Yeah, Olivia. So I've seen an argument from Candace Owens, um, which is that the problem with Black Lives Matter is that um, a lot of the people, and I am not saying that I like agree with all of what I'm about to say, but this is this is kind of the rights argument, is that um, a lot of these people who have been victimized of police brutality and either murdered or brutally assaulted um, do have criminal pasts. And like in George Floyd's case, which is what Candace Owens was specifically speaking on, um, you know, with people wearing T-shirts and holding signs with George Floyd's face on it, it's kind of like, you know, neglecting the fact that he had an, a problematic past and that um, there are women who George Floyd has wronged who are probably upset seeing people wearing T-shirts with his face on it. Um, and, and I guess what Candace Owens and maybe what Trump is saying is that when the face of like this movement and the faces of the Black Lives Matter movement are people who um, are not the most like upstanding you know, have problematic pasts. Those people don't represent the black community. Like George Floyd and all of his faults in his past um, should not be representative of the entire black community because not all the black community is criminal. Not all of the black community has problematic pasts. And I think that's an argument that I've heard is that Black Lives Matter is kind of making martyrs out of people who maybe aren't um, the best examples of the black community. Again, that does not mean that they should have been killed. And that's what black, like I am, I, I support the movement 100,000%. Um, that does not mean that they should have been killed. And that's, that's what Black Lives Matter is fighting for is that these people should not have been killed. I don't care what their past was. That doesn't justify their death. Um, but that is the argument that I've seen like Trump and Candace Owens making. Okay. Well, before we go today, we actually have a little bit of time for a listener question. This is uh, about a, uh, previous 
show that we did. It would have to be, I guess, wouldn't it? Uh, but anyway, Eric wanted to ask the group a question, and this is about America's role in the world. And here's his question. He wonders what happens if the United States pulls back from a leadership role in the various alliances that it's been in and that President Trump seems to be more comfortable pulling back from to a certain extent. And what happens to America's ability to influence world policy in this case? And he writes, wouldn't our paying the amount we do more than others equate to paying for more influence in the world? Or would everyone paying the same diminish our power to move the agenda? I thought it was an interesting question, and I wanted to get uh, your thoughts on it. What do you think about that? Doc? I guess pulling back, I mean, moving our troops out of Afghanistan, uh, out of all these places, and letting them fight their own problems as long as they don't have anything to do with the security of the United States. Having a strong military, I think it was Winston Churchill that said, the best way to keep the peace is to prepare for war. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt said, speak softly and carry a big stick. I mean, as as long as you're bigger and stronger than everybody else, uh, you can take care of yourself uh, and you don't have, you are in charge, but you don't have to have your boots on the ground to prove that you're in charge. Okay. Alan. I certainly believe that um, paying less money into these institutions could result in us having less influence. It's very hard to say because since a lot of these institutions founding, we have been the primary backer. But it's not as if other countries haven't been asking us to take a step back for a long time. Other countries saying that we have too much influence in these institutions to begin with. So I think it's important to also consider, can we help raise up other countries to um, sort of fill our gap? Is that a thing we can do if we take a step back? Is that something they're willing to do as well? And is that beneficial for everybody involved? Okay. And uh, obviously one concern is that one of those other countries might be China, which has certainly emerged in the 21st century as the main uh, strategic geopolitical opponent to, to the United States. So, All right. Well, Eric, thank you for that question. And if anyone has a, out there listening has a question, just let us know at mail at politicsguys.com, or you can post a comment in the episode link that you'll find uh, in our Facebook group. It's facebook.com slash politicsguys page. And we will do our best to answer your question or respond to your comment in an upcoming episode. And if in addition to this series on the 2020 elections and our regular weekend kind of news roundup show, you'd like a third full-length episode every single week, you can get that by becoming a Patreon supporter. Supporters also get ad-free versions of everything, as well as various other things at various levels. And you can get the details at patreon.com slash politics guys. And again, uh, the ability to pay should never be a barrier. So if you would like to become a supporter but can't afford to, just send me an email, mikeatpoliticsguys.com, and I will get you set up with full access to all of our content. We'd also appreciate if you could subscribe to the show, leave ratings and reviews, and especially if you could share your favorite episodes on social media. The executive producers of the Politics Guys are Bruce Johnson, Wilma Morano, Andre Masker, Daniel Toe, Chris Wilkerson, and Nathan Sosnowski. 
We'll be back with our weekly news roundup and analysis show on Saturday and the next election in this election, sorry, the next episode in this election 2020 series on Wednesday. We hope you'll join us.